الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كل أمتي يدخلون الجنة إلا من أبا قيل ومن يأبا يا رسول الله قال من أطاعني دخل الجنة ومن عصاني فقد أبا أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most respected علماء الكرام Brothers and elders Every human being has to take care of many issues for his survival in dunya. A person has to eat and drink in order to survive. So therefore every person is concerned day and night about how he is going to eat and drink, where he is going to earn his income from. So everybody does what they can. So his eating and drinking is something necessary for him, is something very apparent also. When a person is eating, you see his hand moving, it's picking up that food, bringing it to his mouth. You see his jaws moving, he's chewing that food. A lot of things are happening apparently, very, very openly, everybody can notice. There are certain things that are sometimes even more crucial to his survival but which happen very, very silently. Nobody even notices what they know is happening, like breathing. Every person sitting here is breathing. And from morning till night and night till morning, 24-7, a person is breathing. But you cannot see the person breathing as such. Find somebody is sleeping. Maybe you might not see him breathing, but you can hear him breathing. But... This is happening very silently, but this is even more crucial than eating. He will eat, then he can pull for the maybe the whole day without eating, and then he'll need to eat again. But breathing, he can't live without breathing. So certain things happen very silently, very quietly. They're not as apparent as other things, but they are very, very crucial for the person's survival. One is our physical survival. For a mu'min, the more important thing and the greatest priority is his imani survival. His physical survival is next. Because life is one day going to go. There is no way that he is going to be able to protect this life forever and not leave this dunya. He is going to go sooner or later. But his iman, his iman has to carry him in this dunya also. It has to accompany him and be of assistance to him in his grave. And this is what's going to be of aid to him on the day of Qiyamah. And this is the only ticket and passport to Jannat. Without this he cannot enter Jannat. So his Imani survival is of the highest priority. What is as an individual, the Imani survival of an individual. And then as a community. The Imani survival of a community. Now this survival is dependent on many things. 
But one of the very, very crucial things in order to maintain this iman and to maintain what the dictates of this iman is in a person's life is maintaining his Islamic identity. Now like that breathing that takes place very, very quietly, one doesn't see the person breathing like how he's moving his hands when he's eating, when he's needing that food, he's walking to that fridge to take something out, he's cooking something, there are a lot of processes going on, everybody can see all this happening. But breathing, don't see anything happening, but it's happening. And it's more crucial. Similarly, if this Islamic identity is not preserved, it is not maintained, then though not much can be seen happening from the outside in order to preserve this Islamic identity, oh how crucial this is, Allah forbid if this Islamic identity is lost as a community or in the individual's life, then his very Iman is in danger and this is not just a theory, this is a reality, Allah forbid, it's a very tragic reality that people started losing their Islamic identity one thing at a time and the time came when they finally gave up their Iman also. So this Islamic identity is not just something by the way. It is something that starts off from day one. When a child is born, then the teaching of our beloved Rasulullah wasallam, the teaching which he gave us as part of our deen, is that that child is born, that child is sometimes barely a few minutes in this dunya, but one of the first concerns is after cleaning the child is that the azan be given in the ears of those, that child. Now that child has just barely opened his eyes in this dunya. He's barely maybe five, ten minutes alive in this world. But the first concern is to give the azan because this is the teaching of Allah Ta'ala Allah Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Nabi Islam has given us this. What is this azan all about at that juncture in this child's life? Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. That identified, this child must get identified, that seed of identity must get planted in his heart from now. That Allah Ta'ala is the greatest, so therefore I am the slave of Allah Ta'ala. This is my identity. I must grow up with this identity that I do not get into the servitude of any creation. I am the slave of Allah Ta'ala alone. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. The testimony that there is none worthy of worship but Allah Taala. So I don't worship anybody. I don't worship anybody's styles. I don't worship anybody's fashion. I don't worship anybody else's anything. Only Allah is worthy of worship. So in my outward life, within myself, in every way, I worship Allah alone. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. The child barely opened his eyes in this life. He's not even five, ten minutes in this dunya. And the seed of identity is being planted in his heart. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. I testify that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the messenger of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala. Now this seed has been planted within him. Whatever I do in my life, this is my identity. This is where I take my direction from. I will live my life in the way that Rasulullah has taught. My lifestyle will be the lifestyle of the Sunnah of Rasulullah Not something that the West has given, 
something some other creed and nation has given, my lifestyle from the moment my eyes open has already been defined for me. This identity of mine has already been linked. Hayyala Salah. My whole life, this is my identity, it revolves around the ibadat of Allah Ta'ala. And the most important part of that ibadat is this daily salah. From Fajr to Isha, I will be reminded about this azan also. It will be called out to remind me of my identity, which was planted in my heart when barely my eyes opened. And to remind me that my whole life revolves around the ibadat of Allah Ta'ala. And the peak of that ibadat is the salah. So I will keep reaffirming my identity from morning till evening by listening to the azan, by replying to the azan, by replying physically to the azan and attending the house of Allah and joining the salah in the masjid. All this is reaffirming that identity. And then hayyal al-falah, that my entire success is only in the obedience of Allah and this testification that I have given that Nabi Islam is the messenger of Allah Ta'ala. So my success is only in following him, not in anything else. So now my whole life will revolve around this. And this success I will get reminded about, that come and reaffirm this success, that you are the slave of Allah Ta'ala alone. So come and make sajda towards Allah Ta'ala, for Allah Ta'ala. So this entire adhan, right from day one, planted the seed of identity in the person's heart. And now he is meant to grow up and meant to live with this identity. And meant to preserve this identity. And guard it. Otherwise if this identity starts slipping, then everything is in danger. This identity is something that is within a person. It starts off inside. And it expresses itself outside. So if a person, if something is attracting him outside, then that which is attracting him outside speaks about what is important to him inside. There is a certain style of dressing that is attracting a person outside. It speaks about what is important to him inside. What he feels some familiarity with, some kind of identity that he is linking up with, because this is the definition of identity. There are various ways in which this identity is defined, but one way in which it is defined is that the qualities, the beliefs, the personality, the actions and expressions, so all these things, the qualities of a person, the beliefs of a person, his personality, his actions and expressions, these things which make up a person or a group, a certain group all subscribe to the same kind of beliefs that creates an identity for them. They subscribe to the same kind of actions, expressions. This defines their identity. So now where do I link myself up? There's a certain group that has a certain kind of manner of conducting their life, their style of life. They dress in a certain way. They conduct their weddings in a certain way. They do their things in life in a certain way. Now where do I link myself? Allah's Nabi Wasallam gave something also. And this is where mu'min's identity is totally distinct from those who are other than the believers. In every aspect of life, one is his ibadat. His identity in his ibadat is totally distinct. 
he worships one Allah Ta'ala alone. Somebody is worshipping some cow, somebody is worshipping a tree, somebody is making some human deity. So he's totally distinct. In his aspects of life, day-to-day life, how does the mu'min dress is distinct. How does the mu'min eat? He has his own way of eating. He has been taught by Rasulullah to wash his hands, to sit down and eat, to eat with his right hand. And somebody else, their lifestyle, like how animals graze, they're standing and walking around and eating. Then, both hands they're eating with. Now, mu'min is suddenly sometimes confronted with these situations. That we living as a minority, a Muslim minority in a country where the predominant culture is something else. Now, this is where the big danger comes. That when a person is living side by side with people of a different identity, then the danger of what is called enculturation happens. And when a person does not realize how crucial this identity is, like that breathing, he doesn't see it happening, it gets taken for granted. A person takes this identity for granted. Fine, is one of those things. So now he gets assimilated, he gets enculturated in this predominant culture, which is an alien culture. So now he is invited somewhere, everybody is standing and eating. So he says, but how am I going to sit and eat here? I also have to just stand and walk around and eat. And people are eating with both hands, so he carries on eating with both hands. And people are wasting half of that food. Somebody is drinking something, they got to waste half. They got to leave that half for shaitan. So he has to leave something for shaitan also. Now what is happening? His identity is getting swallowed up in this alien culture. Now outwardly it seems like one of those small things. But if one considers on a more global level, there were many people who left their homelands for whatever reason and went to many different countries in the world where the Muslims were either very very few in number or maybe almost nothing. They went for what? They went for dunya. And because they went for dunya, they weren't concerned about protecting their Islamic identity. Many South American countries, other places of the world. What happened? One generation later, and some places two generations later, the children besides knowing that their father or grandfather was a Muslim, they know nothing else. They cannot recite the kalima. If they cannot even recite the kalima, what more they will know. And on top of that, there are many, many incidents. One person went in Jamaat to one of the South American countries. So while meeting somebody, that person is now introducing himself. I am so-and-so, and my son is so-and-so. I am the chairman of this Islamic center. My son is the chairman of the church. And he is quite happy to say it. He has lost track of what is Islamic identity. It's all fine. I am I'm heading this institution. He said I didn't get that. It's all fine. We are on the same level. Nauzubillah. Now where it starts from, what we think is very, very small, nothing very major, not truly greatly significant, but what is the end result? Sometimes it might not be so dramatic, but sometimes it's so dramatic that it becomes so clear and apparent that one generation later or two generations later, the child doesn't even know anything about Islam or Deen. He has even sometimes a non-Muslim name 
and he doesn't know anything where he came from, who he is. The crucial aspect in this is this maintaining of this Islamic identity. And once things start slipping, it's a very, very dangerous slope. Just to take some examples from the lives of the Sahaba Ikram of what importance they gave to this maintaining of their identity and how they adhered to this despite the environment they were in. When the Sahaba Ikram migrated to Habasha, this was while still Rasulullah was in Makkah Mukarramah, a lengthy incident, but just the aspect that we need to take the lesson from. So the Sahaba were already there, one group of them. And the Quraysh got to know about this, that these people secretly went away, and now they're practicing Islam freely there. They couldn't stomach this. They said, somehow we've got to bring them back, so that they can continue being persecuted by us. So they sent a delegation to go and bribe somehow, in some way, Najashi, the king, to return these people. So the lengthy incident, the Jafar, and the Sahaba that were already there, they were summoned to the court of Najashi. These people had already come beforehand, given the courtiers some gifts to bribe them, to take their favor. In any case, one of the things that happened was, as these people came in, they followed the protocol of the place. The protocol was, you come in, you make sajda to the king. The Muslims were summoned, that you come and answer now, these people have got some allegations against you. So they came, they refused to, they did not make any sajda. Now this is the court of the king. And this is the protocol. And what are the risks involved? The risks involved are that if they don't make the sajda to the king, then he's going to get upset. Nobody has ever dared do such a thing. And if he gets upset, he's going to hand them over to this delegation of the Quraysh. And if they're handed over, they're going to be back in Makkah Mukarramah. And what happens there? Those untold persecutions that the Sahaba were suffering. These were all the dangers in front of them. But they did not make sajda. So the courtiers that were there started making a big noise about it. That what's wrong with you people? How dare you disrespect the court of the king? You did not make sajda. So the reply that Jafar gave, and he said that, إِنَّ اللَّهَ بَعَثَ إِلَيْنَا رَسُولَهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَأَمَرَنَا أَلَّا نَسْجُدَ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ Allah Ta'ala sent to us his Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he commanded us that we should not make sajda to anybody but to Allah Ta'ala. We cannot make sajda to anyone. Whatever the risks are, whatever the issues are, we are committed to our Islamic identity. And this is a very, very essential part of our identity. That we don't bow to anybody but to Allah Ta'ala. Now somebody like us, Allah forbid, might have made some interpretation well, I'll just do something, just make it look like it's a bow. No, they were clear about their position and stance. This is something we can't compromise in. Our identity is something very distinct. We make sajda to nobody but to Allah Ta'ala alone. But what was the effect of this? The effect of it was it had a tremendous impact on the heart of Najashi. And he said to them after hearing the whole incident and whatever else, and dismissing the issues that the delegation of the Quraysh brought, return their gifts to them also. And said to them, you move out from here now, and said to the Sahaba, you are free to worship Allah as you wish. At that time, he was not yet a Muslim. But the upholding of the Islamic identity by the Sahaba, not compromising on their identity. This brought the seed of Iman already in the heart of this disbelieving king. 
which later brought him into Islam. But this is that lesson that we need to take, that compromising our deen, compromising our identity doesn't bring us respect. Many a person feels this is now when in Rome do as the Romans do. So now everybody is doing certain thing in a certain style, I got to follow it. But no, when in Rome do as the Romans do is not our policy. Wherever in the world do as Rasulullah did. That is the Mu'min's identity. Usman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala it is the time when Nabi Salaam was coming for Umrah and he was prevented by the Quraysh from entering Makkah Mukarramah. So in order to negotiate with the Quraysh, Nabi Salaam sent Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala. When he comes into Makkah Mukarramah, his cousin gives him, hosts him, takes him along. Now he's going to be going to negotiate with these leaders of the Quraysh. So his cousin is taking him along. So he looks at him, he looks at how he's dressed. And this is one crucial part of a mu'min's identity. And a lot of this enculturation, this enculturation when people are living with, alongside different cultures, what happens is, Allah forbid when a person starts idolizing a different culture. He starts looking at something else, well everybody is doing it, must be good. So when he starts seeing everybody doing something, must be good, what he does? He starts, na'uzubillah, looking down upon what he has. Whereas he has what is the best thing. He starts looking at it as inferior and somebody else's thing as better. Na'uzubillah. Then first the desire of that comes in the heart. Then the admiration comes, the desire comes. And then eventually he starts adopting it. And before he knows it, he is looking no different to them. There's one story just for the moral. One person went to live in one community far away somewhere in some remote area, he had to go there for some, whatever the reasons were. Now, this is a story for the moral, don't ask for the reference and page number. But in any case, when he got there, he found something very strange. What he saw is that all the people, the tips of their noses are cut. It was some kind of cultural thing, probably when the child is born, they snip the tip of his nose. Now he had a perfect nose, a normal nose. Now he's seeing everybody else with this kind of nose. So now, he had to live there. Every time he's passing two people, he's seeing them nudging one another. In other words, look at this fellow's nose. Then he's hearing somebody commenting also. Look at what a funny nose this fellow has got. And now once, twice, ten times, keep, kept on listening to these kind of comments of people about his nose. His nose was perfect. And these were all people who had cut their noses. But now he felt something is wrong with me now. So eventually what he did, he went and had his nose also snipped. Now this cutting of the nose is an expression also. When a person has humiliated himself, disgraced himself, they cut his nose. Unfortunately, this is what we do with our deen and with what we have been given, that the best way of life that Allah Ta'ala has blessed us with, the Mubarak way of Rasulullah but looking at the cut noses around us, we want to cut our nose also. How others are dressed in that immoral way, in that way which is beyond even human morality, let alone the high level of morals and modesty that Deen has taught. Even basic human shame, what is gone beyond that, gone to the level of animals, in huwa illa kalan'am balhum adal. But that kind of immoral way of dressing, because of this enculturation, you'll find that that becomes the norm in a Muslim community. And you'll find Muslim women sometimes writing and asking, that is it 
fine if I don't attend a certain family function. Will I be guilty of breaking family ties? Why I don't want to attend? Well, it's separate. Everything is fine. Everything is separate in terms of there's no intermingling. But the way the women are dressed, I am totally embarrassed to be in such a gathering. Who's gathering? The Nasara's gathering? The Yahud's gathering? No, a gathering of Muslimas. And some Muslima, Allah Ta'ala has given the topic of maintaining her identity. She's embarrassed to be among such women. But they adopted it. They found it something fine. Something desirable. Where this came from, this enculturation. Watching that media all the time and looking at what others have. As a result, this is a breathing that was happening which got taken for granted. Let it be. So as a result, all this can just fall apart, fall by the wayside. That wedding that is taking place, so that Islamic identity is something now, that whole wedding, somebody cannot make any difference whether it is a Yahud wedding, a Nasara wedding, or whose wedding. At the most, the Islamic identity is in a corner, the Parda corner. The rest of it is the same. Maybe the difference only was it started off in the masjid, and that Christian wedding started off in the church. But then after that, everything seemed the same in that hall. And the only difference might be in some places that so-called parda corner. That Islam is for the corner, not for the rest of us. So, Hazrat Usman, he now is going to negotiate with the Quraysh. And his cousin sees how he's dressed. And how he's dressed is he's dressed in the way of Rasulullah And one of the things is that his lower garment is well above his ankles. So now he found this very, very demeaning that the Quraysh, now the leaders of the Quraysh, this is not their style. You're going to negotiate with them, they're going to look down upon you. So you lower your garments, let it hang below your ankles. Now imagine what a crucial thing. Nabi Islam has been restrained from entering Makkah Mukarramah. This negotiation might break the deadlock. And he's the ambassador. And he's going to now negotiate. And if he is looked down upon, this will scuttle everything. These are all the thoughts that can go in the mind. Usman Rabbi's simple answer to him was, La haqada izratu sahibina sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No, this is how my Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam keeps his garment. Anybody can think what they want. This is the best for me. I will not get affected by people around me. I will remain steadfast on the way, the culture, the identity that Rasulullah has given me. Hazrat Ma'akir ibn Yasar radiallahu ta'ala he is eating among, in the court of some people, and there are a lot of disbelievers also present there, and a morsel of food falls from his hand, and he immediately picks it up, cleans it, and he eats it. Now all those other leaders of the disbelievers who were sitting present there, who had also come along, they are staring at him in disbelief. Why in disbelief? How can a person do something like this? According to them, this is a totally wrong thing to do. Like, according to the people of other cultures, for the segregation of men and women is something totally out of line. This is something that just doesn't make sense. That a person is supposed to observe parda from his own cousin, this is something berserk for them. That when two couples meet, then both hus- this person's hus- this husband and that wife must meet one another, not just shake hands with one another, they must even embrace one another. That's part of the culture. Somebody refuses to be part of this culture, something is wrong with him. So all the things that are correct, all the things that are good, 
To those with an alien culture, all this is alien for them. But those who have been blessed with this best way of life, with this identity of Islam, with this identity of the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi if they start looking elsewhere, those who have what is that wholesome way of life are looking at what is rotting. They have what is so fragrant and beautiful. And they look at what is full of odor and stench. And they want to desire that. Then something has happened to the senses. Then a person's sense of smell is gone. His gaze is completely filled with the cataracts of whatever else. As a result he cannot see what is what. He cannot smell the stench of what is rotten. And he cannot get the fragrance of what is, has such a beautiful fragrance. So Usman didn't compromise on this. As the Maqid ibn Yasar we're talking about. So when he, when these people started staring at him, somebody said to him that, can't you see these, all these leaders are staring at you? They are looking at you in disbelief. All this good food is here in front of you, you're picking up this morsel of the floor. So what was his response and reply? He said, مَا كُنْتُ لِأَدْعَى مَا سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَةً مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِهَا أُولَاءِ الْأَعَاجِمِ That I am not going to leave that which I heard from Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم for these disbelievers. I must leave what Nabi Sallallahu gave me for people without Iman. What comparison are you making? What comparison are you trying to make? I must give up what my Nabi Sallallahu has given me and in place of that adopt what the disbelievers are taking and doing, what their concepts are, what their ideologies are, what their way of thinking is, because all these things eventually make up a person's identity. But that identity as you mentioned earlier, it starts off inside. The inside speaks on the outside. Just to finish up on this, there was one big billboard somewhere. And that billboard was saying that speak less, say more. Speak less, but say more. It was advertising something. Advertising some shoe or whatever it was. So in other words, you wear the shoe, you won't be saying anything. Forget speaking less, you won't be saying one word. Or you won't be speaking one word. But you'll be saying a lot about yourself. You'll be saying, I'm somebody in style. I wear these kind of shoes. I'm not somebody just, by the way, go and buy something from the five-run shop. So like that shoe speaks about the person, though he's, it's saying a lot. Though he's what you call not saying a word, he's saying a lot. Likewise, what we do, what kind of weddings we have, what kind of dressing we adopt, what kind of mindset we have, while we might sometimes be totally silent, this is speaking a lot about what is deep down in our hearts. What is so good, in, what's so important to us inside? And that is the result of what is attracting us outside. We need to hold on firmly to this identity that Allah wa ta'ala has given us, that Rasulullah has blessed us with. This has to come alive by bringing alive this entire deen in our homes, bringing alive this talim of deen in our homes, the entire identity of Islam to come alive in our homes, tilawat of the Quran Sharif is taking place, salah is taking place, we are discussing the sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu daily, sunnahs of eating, drinking, sleeping. These are the fundamental things, very simple, easy things. These are the stepping stones to the bigger things. Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah.